Good job, Randall. Hey, good to see you guys. Happy Father's Day to me and you and all the other dads in this room. Again, whether you are a bio, foster, adopted, spiritual dad, granddad, whatever it may be, we recognize on Father's Day that's a very exciting day for many of us, or some of us, as Randall named, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult day, and for some people, honestly, it's just a mixture of the two, right? And usually our, our tensions and our frustrations, I want to be able to see your face, I'm going to bring this down, look at that right there, here we go. There we go. This distracts me. Yeah, we recognize for many of you it can be difficult, and, and, and really those kind of revolve around unmet, unmet expectations, right? It's the unmet expectations of fatherhood and whether being a dad or honestly, even maybe the relationship with your kids is not where you want it to be. And so, like, you love being a dad, but you have attention with it at the same time. And, and so we recognize that today. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of recognition a day of hearing the heart of other men, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And the idea of our conversation is not necessarily to talk about fatherhood, although it is Father's Day. Today we're going to talk about biblical masculinity, or what I'm calling biblical masculinity. Because the simple, my simple conviction is this, if every single man in this room would live out this biblical masculinity, what I would call exercising the traits of God that reside in you, then you would be great at every relationship you're in with your spouse. You'd be a great husband. The relationship with your kids, you'd be a great dad. The relationship that you have with your own parents, you would be a great son. The relationship that you have at work with your co-workers or maybe with your boss, that you would be great at what you're doing in that, right? The idea is we engage and embrace what I would call, again, I'm calling a biblical masculinity. They just step into that and you would begin to engage that. But I recognize when we talk about masculinity that, man, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I have this opinion, this opinion that many of you, when you think about, if I were to like literally say, hey, go build a list of what masculinity is, I wonder if you would create primarily a cultural understanding of masculinity or if you would build a biblical one. Because when I think about growing up and I thought a man was like a man's man, I had this picture in mind of the Marlboro man, right? He's that dude over there with his cowboy hat on. He's just leathered. He looks tough. He looks emotionally distant. He just looks like he just doesn't give a rip about anything, right? He just looks super, super cool. Or I thought about like the, like the James Bond of the day, right? And I, and I'm talking, you know, what, uh, what, what's, the, what's the best James Bond today is Daniel Craig, but who was the good one before that? Uh, Sean Connery, because everybody knows he was the real man, right? You got the Sean Connery version of James Bond, and, and he was the ladies' man. He could beat anybody up. He could shoot guns. He knew what type of food was out there. He knew what kind of drinks were out there. He was this that cool guy, right? And so when you think about masculinity, we have this picture in mind of a man's man, rough and tough, athletic, loves the outdoors, can build things with his hands, with his eyes closed, and can fix every car known to man. Right? And a lot of you are going, I feel like less than a man all of a sudden. Because the culture has built this vision of what masculinity is. And so as we dive in this morning, like just literally as I'm talking, like what are the thoughts that are going what are the thoughts going through your own mind right now around masculinity and what that means and, and what that looks like? And I wonder for you if you've built a masculinity that's more cultural than biblical. I wonder, do you look at 
your dad? Do you look at your grandfather? Do you look at an uncle? Who do you look at? What do you look at? What comes to mind and what do you think about when it comes to masculinity? As we as we begin at this morning, I want to start with a quote uh, from an, an, it's a, an amazing evangelist, pastor, and leader of the church from the 1800s. A lot of you have heard his name. His name is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody started the Moody Bible Institute and was just an incredible man of God who influenced the church of America. In some ways, he's impacted how we view church and how we do church today. So with that in mind, here's the, here's the quote you can go put on the screen for me. It says this, The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and for and by a man whose heart is totally his. I will do my utmost to be that man. I love that. The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and for and by a man whose heart is totally his. And I love that conviction of D.L. to saying, I will do my utmost to be that man. You see, God created humanity in his image, right? Male and female, we're told in Genesis. He placed his God traits in both and then released them to fulfill his purposes on earth. If you remember on Mother's Day, we focused on women. We focused on God's unique and intentional design for their lives. And we said women by nature are created by God to open themselves up to receive, right? The picture of this hole that they that that we, they fill with offering compassion, receiving those who are hurting, those who are struggling, and those who are in need. And by nature, there are to be those who receive people into themselves who are in need of love. Now, we said that's not unique to women, but it is primary to them as a primary call in their life. In turn, this morning, I want to focus our time on men. I want to look at God's unique and intentional design for your life. As men this morning, I want to start with a quote from our ever famous Marcus Aurelius, who once said this, the true worth of a man is to be measured by the objects he pursues. I love this quote. The true worth of a man is to be measured by the objects, the things that he pursues. What does he give himself to? What do you give yourself to? What do you give your mental energy to? What do you give your physical energy to? What do you put your purpose and energy back in going after? And what we go after just speaks volumes about who we are and the worth that we're defined by. As we think this morning about God traits in us, as we think about in God empowering our lives to fulfill the purposes for which he created, the idea of what we pursue and why becomes very central, becomes very central to who we are and what I'm calling biblical manhood, or you could call just biblical masculinity. In the Old Testament and New Testament, there are two words used for male, as in God created, God created male and female, right? The Hebrew word is zakar, and, the, and the, the Greek word from the New Testament is arson. You can go ahead and put those on the screen for me. 
when these two words and their definitions are joined in his book, Fully Alive, Larry Crabb, uh, which I'm pulling a lot of this info from because I thought it was so profound. He says, these words suggest the beginning idea that man reflects God by remembering what is important in relationship in life, moving into a disordered situation with strength, and to make an important difference. So the words, the car specifically, you can kind of look, we'll leave that, I'll come back to that in a second, Josh. You can go ahead and take it off for now. We're going to come back to it, right? The words, the car is different, right? The words, the car literally means someone that moves into, right? Someone who moves into. So a woman is open to receive and a man by nature is someone that moves into, recognizing a hole that needs to be filled. So penetrates with love, with compassion, with mercy and moves into a moment, right? You can see even in created order or not trying to get sexual in nature, but there is this picture of receiving and this word of moving into. It's just the nature of how it works. You can giggle if you want to. If I use the word penetration and talking about how men work, I'm just saying, right? Randall's like, stop talking, right? But the idea of how you're created just speaks to the natural created order. It's why I look at human beings, male and female, and seeing them being uniquely designed by God with an intent and with a purpose even in how they're physically created, and then how God names them with spiritual language in Greek and Hebrew. This person who moves into. But I love this picture, so bring that back on the screen for me again, because guys, when you read this definition, this definition of male from marrying those ideas of Hebrew and Greek, doesn't it just resonate with who you are? This idea that man reflects God. We're most godlike. When we're remembering, remembering what is important in the life of other people, we, we move into disordered situations with strength to bring about change and to make a difference. In that moment, if I look at you and say, hey, there's a situation over here. Would you remember how to fix this? You're like, yes, I know how to fix this. And so you step into the broken place, right? And all of a sudden, you're able to bring change. You're like, ah, I feel so fulfilled. I feel so satisfied. I feel like something in me just touched the purpose for which I'm created. You do it all week, right? I don't care if it's like, out there coaching on the baseball field, right? I don't care if you're out there working at work and all of a sudden you remember, oh my gosh, we just turn the valve like this and get this over here, it fixes everything. Oh my gosh, you're so great. Thank you. I feel so fulfilled right now, right? When I sit down with someone as a pastor, and they start sharing a problem with me. I enter into it. I recognize the problem. I have a spiritual answer. I pray for them. They look at me with tears in their eyes. They say, I feel like a new person, right? I feel satisfied. I feel fulfilled. Moving into these situations. As men, we feel fulfilled, satisfied. When we remember something important that moves me with strength. And in moving, we bring about change. Here's a silly here's a silly story just from a couple of weeks ago. Sarah and I up in Clayton, Georgia at this camp. I'm the keynote speaker speaker of this youth camp. It's the first time I've spoken to middle schoolers in a while, and I'm loving it, right? And so during the lunches and the breakfasts, I would go sit at other tables. My two favorite tables, easy, were the sixth and seventh grade girls. Oh my gosh, they're just so amazing. Any sixth and seventh grade girls in here? 
right? I don't know if there are, but you're my favorite people in the world, right? They're just so sweet, and they're so innocent, right? And they were so happy to have me there, and they're just sitting asking me questions and blah, 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 talking through stuff, right? We're playing games together. The leaders get up and leave because I'm just so engrossed in conversation. We're having a blast. But in both conversations, a problem came up. The problem was that on Thursday night, we were doing an old-school hoedown. An old-school hoedown. The old-school hoedown means that every single boy and every single girl are paired with somebody in a blind pairing. So they literally put this black kind of divider, and they put girls on one side, boys on the other, and you'd walk out, and all of a sudden you get, you look over and go, oh no, he smells, right? And so my sixth and seventh grade little girls were sitting there freaking out over this, because who wants to go dance with some weird boy? <clears throat> I need my water because I'm just getting so fired up, baby. I'm six and seven great girls, man. Now, so in this moment, I look at them. I see a problem. I look at them because I'm a dad. I'm like, I can fix this. I'm a dad. I've got the power here. I'm going to move into this problem. So I look at them and said, here's the deal. I will be there the entire time. Okay. I will literally walk over. And I want to make sure every single boy in your group treats you like a princess. And if they don't, I'll take care of it myself. Okay, Mr. Steve, right? So that night comes, and I'm walking by them. I look at them, and I literally i am doing this. I did this to 15 girls. I'm like, hey, tonight, hoedown. Like this, right? Because I got them. Here's the deal. Right before it started, I'm like, what's the next step I can do? What can, how can I move into this? So all of a sudden, the leader, Andy, goes, hey, Steve, will you do me a favor? I'm like, man, yeah, what do you need? He said, will you pull all the boys out before the hoedown and have a man talk with them? I said, by God, I will. Bring it, baby. (laughs) So, man, we walk out. So I get them all walking around. I get them around me. It's every single one of them from sixth grade up to just graduated from college. And I've got them standing there, right? And I looked at them and said, guys, you put on your best man tonight and how you're treating these girls i said i'm a dad and i'm a man and i said i got six or seven great little girls in there who were scared of every single one of you because they're afraid you're going to be mean they're afraid you're going to be rude you're afraid you're going to touch them inappropriately they're afraid you're going to say something weird whatever it may look at you right uh, you you are the 12th grader right why is your shirt but literally i'm like i literally said this to this kid why is your shirt buttoned down beneath your belly button no girl wants to dance and have her belly fuzz all over her face doing the hoedown Button it up right now. Yes, sir, Mr. Steve. Literally what happened, right? He buttons it up right there in the spot. And I sit there and said, listen, every single girl in there needs you to treat them tonight like they're the most important person in the world. You treat every girl like they're, like you'd want someone else to treat your little sister. Can you do that? Yes, sir. Right? They go in, they get paired up, and I just like quantum walk circles around the sixth and seventh grade girl point. I said, hey, girls, they, they treat you nice. Yes, sir, Mr. Steve. And they're like, Mr. Steve, like the, the, the guys are like, man, we're going to do, and they did. They did great. 
They literally danced all night. They did the hoedown. They did the stuff. They spun them around. They would get done, high-fived them. They would fist bump them. They would ask them if they were doing okay, ask them if they were having fun. I'm sitting there, and I see these like big old grins on the sixth and seventh grade girls. And we got done. And like I said, how was it? And they go, it was awesome. And those seventh, little seventh grade girls, she goes, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Steve, it got a lot better. If my guy walked out, he was super hot. I'm like, that's weird, right? But it was just this moment, right? Now, here's the thing in this one. This is a great moment. I walked away, and honestly, I can say just in a practical sense, it was one of my favorite moments. I got to, I got to like, exercise my dadness. I got to exercise my manhood. I got to tell them straight. I got to disciple them into being men. I walked away. They listened. They obeyed. They, they flourished. It was a beautiful moment, and I felt so, so just good. But here's the thing about this. It was a great moment. But it may or may not have been true biblical masculinity. Could have been, but it may not have been. It may have been masked as counterfeit masculinity. The determination is all based on the motive and the position of my heart moving into the moment. Counterfeit masculinity does right things and enjoys them and feels justified, but it lacks the heart of God behind the actions. It's more about me feeling good about myself rather than seeing these girls and fighting for them. True masculinity does right things, but the motivation is to humble oneself and to lift the other up. Real masculinity, he does the right things and really sees the other person in front of them while doing it. Counterfeit masculinity does right things, but wants to be seen as the champion in it, or as being right and doing it. It's one of selfishness. Men, you have to ask yourself in moments, why do you like fixing things? Do you fix things to make yourself feel better, to feel powerful, to be known and to be satisfied, or simply because you love the person in front of you? Biblical masculinity prefers humility. They move in to exercise the traits of God because they're so in love with the person in front of them. We're going to look into this. Whereas counterfeit masculinity is the same things, and expresses a level of masculinity and of moving into help. But in moving into help, it's more because they want to satisfy a longing in themselves. They want to be known. They want to be seen as powerful. They want to be seen as knowledgeable. They want to be known. The question that I step in to help these girls because I had such compassion for them as 6th and 7th grade, innocent and vulnerable girls, and I just wanted to give myself to help them, or did I do it because I just wanted my dadness to feel kind of stroked in the sense of being good and to show my manhood to these boys and feel good about myself? Do you recognize and see that tension in your actions and the things that you do during the day? Counterfeit versus biblical max masculinity. Here's an example we face in marriage. We are in conversation, so let's say I'm married, like so I'm married to Randall. Let's say Randall and I are in a conversation. We're in a conversation, and a problem arises. And I know, man, I just know how problems arise. Like little bitty thunderhead storms over here, and all of a sudden, as you continue to talk, turn into a big storm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, here comes the thunder. Here comes the lightning, right? Oh, my gosh. And so in this moment, I'm sure you never experienced this, right? But in the moment, you're having the moment. And you're like, ah. And so you start going, because this is a moment I need to 
move into. I need to fix this, right? And so all of a sudden you start going to that mental file. All the conversations you've had and the counseling sessions that you've had and the marriage seminars that you've gone to. And all of a sudden you're going to this, the mental file and all of a sudden, boom, there's a file. That might be able to fix this. And so you bring the file out and all of a sudden you, you move in, you enter in, you bring the file out. You say, let me lead us into this conversation. And we ask a specific question and all of a sudden Randall goes, oh, right. Thunderhead begins to subside. All of a sudden now we're connecting. It's a good moment. I pulled the file out. I moved in. And because of what I did, the crisis has been averted. That's a good moment, right? Every, every husband's like, oh, my gosh, I can I have more of those moments, please, for the love of God, right? But what makes it a biblical masculinity moment versus a counterfeit the heart behind it in the moment biblical masculinity is focused on a desire to say oh the thunderhead's coming but i love my wife so much that i'm going to go through my file because i don't want to create separation because i know that's hard for her and it's hard for me it's hard on our marriage and our marriage is more important than me being right so i'm going to love her by creating this moment versus counterfeit masculinity counterfeit masculinity is focused simply on fixing the situation is simply focused on averting a crisis because it makes me uncomfortable right it's focused on me winning the moment but not making the heart connection. I can walk away. I can walk away and go counterfeit. How I fix that? Counterfeits focused on fixing so you feel better, not because you feel your wife's pain and you don't want to be separated from her because you love her. To set the tone, here are a few questions to ask, and then we're going to dive into Exodus chapter 2 here in a moment. But to set the tone, here are a few questions we can ask ourselves to determine what type of masculinity are we expressing. And there's a lot of kind of questions in this. So we'll start with the first two groupings. You go ahead and pull that up for me. Please, here we go. First section, this is going to be about kind of, um, we'll dive into the actually different parts of this. How many men really feel, or how many men really tune into the deep hurts and worries of their wives, their children, their aging parents, and their friends? I mean, hear them. I don't mean, I don't mean, um, like deduce what's going on and go, oh, that's the problem. I mean, like really sit down and hear their wives, understand to hear their children who may be throwing a temper tantrum, but you can press through to actually hear them in the moment to know what's going on beyond the surface. How many men hear, literally listen and emotionally hear what's going on with those important people in their lives? Biblical masculinity does these things. How many men are so gratefully overwhelmed with remembering God's movement into their lives, they can think of nothing more meaningful than moving similarly into someone else's life? How many men remember God 
in their lives. I'll never forget. Listen, the idea, what does that look like? What do you mean by this, Steve? Well, here's the point. How many of you remember being a pain in the butt in your relationship with Jesus somewhere along the way of not listening well? of not being obedient quickly, of trying to manipulate God because there's something that you wanted from him, right? Or you just kind of like, you didn't obey quickly and you kind of pushed back and you like whined a little bit when you were talking to him. Or maybe you just wrestled with him for a long time without letting him win. You just had tension with God. And my question is, how did he respond to you? That's what I mean. Remember how God treated you when you were being a pain in the neck. I remember. And so how he treated you then is how then you respond and are called to treat others in your life who are acting the same way you acted towards God. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, someone you work with, my remembrance goes, ah, myself wants to move in and just rectify the situation in my power. But when I remember how God worked in my life, he showed me grace and mercy and compassion and tenderness and patience. I would encourage you to stop using the word patience and start using the word long-suffering. Jesus long-suffered with you. Remember that. So you remember it for other people. Third, how many men, so the next screen, how many men probe with gentle curiosity into the inner world of their wives, their girlfriends, their children, their parents, or their friends? How willing are you to simply listen, to listen and know the ones that you love and not try to fix? How willing are you to discover struggles they have, they have no idea how to solve, Right? Willing to even to face a woman's disappointment that maybe exposes your failure in her life, but you want to know. How many men look deeply into others? And one, how many men hear and see a woman's struggles and rather than immediately trying to solve them, just simply sit with her and stay with her in her pain, praying for wisdom to move wisely into her life or anyone else in your life? How many men move towards women motivated by the pure love of Christ? How many men relationally move towards others with the confidence that God can do miracles through them if their goal isn't to fix but to reveal not themselves as worthy of appreciating but the God who can change people into little Christs? There's no Marlboro man in this. There ain't no James Bond or Jason Bourne. There's just Jesus. Because if you haven't picked it up, all I'm doing is naming biblical masculinity that defines and describes the traits of God that were given to men in Genesis chapter 1. All you have to offer people is Jesus. And his traits are always kindness, compassion, goodness, the fruit of the Spirit. 
So all I'm doing is kind of asking some questions and naming some things around that. Biblical masculinity comes with a price, y'all. It exposes our natural tendencies towards doing and our natural tendencies towards fixing. Men don't remember how Jesus moved in their lives. They don't remember the cost to Jesus. They don't remember the patience that it took from him or his long suffering. Men, we are doers. We're fixers by nature. And we sit there and wonder why a struggling person just doesn't shape up. Why don't you just fix the problem? And if they don't fix it or change in the timing that we want, what do we do? We check out and move on. It's just what we do. I watch my dad do it, but here's the point. I watch myself do it all the time. I am literally, as they say about pastors I heard growing up, and just one beggar leading all the other beggars to the bread, right? I don't know. I just, I know some things, but I've got to work on them. I'm not great at these things. Randall can attest. Don't tell them, Randall. We want to move with humble confidence. Hey, God has empowered us. He's given us the weight of his presence, and we have the ability to move into broken places. But not to express ourselves, but to express the love and the power of Jesus. Men, we have to hear well. I want us to be people who move wisely into the lives of those we claim to love. Why? Why is it hard for us? Why is it a struggle? Because, well, honestly, men are scared to death. We are afraid of being exposed as incapable, we're afraid of being exposed as imposters, and we're afraid of being exposed as frauds. Vulnerability shows the real nature of who we are, and we get vulnerable with people, as Jesus did, and all of a sudden we feel like we're going to be exposed as frauds. Exodus 2. We all know the story of the Exodus, right? You've all seen Charlton Heston version, the Prince of Egypt version, whatever it may be. You know remember the story, right? The Israelites, they're in, because of their sin, they are in captivity. They're in captivity in, in Egypt, a difficult moment, right? It's a difficult moment. And this is the moment they begin to cry out. We pick it up in verse 23 of Exodus 2. And it says, during that long period, this being in slavery, the king of Egypt died The Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. He remembered, see this word remembering, he remembered his covenant with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites. He was concerned about them, and we know he then sent Moses and to be the man who moves into the broken place to bring about help and to bring salvation, right? What we're seeing in Exodus 2 is biblical masculinity being expressed through the Father heart of God to those who are in need. This is this picture. This is what I'm talking about, recognizing an issue, remembering, and then responding in like. There are four different ways, I believe, four different ways God expresses uh, biblical masculinity. I think we see them here in this story a bit. But number one, a masculine man hears the cries of others. The cry of those around us is sometimes heard, and other times it's not. 
masculine men are unafraid to enter into the lives around them, listening to the heard and unheard cries of their heart. Biblical masculinity represents men who care. They care about their spouse more than they care about themselves, their children, their friends, their family, whatever it may be. They hear and they care. This week, Randall and I, we got to go down uh, as on, was it, uh, on Thursday morning. Our good friends and missionaries from out of Vintage, Tatum and Jacob Green, were giving birth uh, to their second son, TJ. If you're on the email list, you've seen this prayer request go out. They invited us to come down because she was going into surgery to have TJ, and they knew and they know that TJ has a disorder of the heart, and he was going to live only hours or possibly days. And they invited us to come down and said, would you just come in as our pastors, and and would you love on us, and would you pray with us? So at 8.15, 8.30 on Thursday morning, we drive down to Kennestone, go into the purple deck. We go into this floor number three, and they invite us down. And we walk in, and we laugh together, and we cried together, and then we prayed together, and then we went out and we sat in the waiting room with her lovely family, or with Annie and Sally, her sisters, her, uh, their son Sam, uh, and then Tom uh, and, and Pam Downs is sitting in there and talking. Now, here's the thing. In this moment, it was painful. And we entered in, and we heard them. We loved on them. I didn't enter in to pray a prayer to make myself known as the great prayer the great prayer of those who were struggling. I didn't enter in to make my presence known so that they would say, oh, because Steve is here, I feel better. Because Randall's here, I feel better. No, we heard them, and we just loved them. She gave birth, and TJ came out, and they actually had time to take pictures, and he's, he's not doing well, but they've had days with him. It's been a gift, but it's been painful, right? But masculine men are not afraid of those moments. They're willing to hear the pain of someone and enter in, not to be known, but to love. Second thing, a masculine man remembers the God that he is called to reveal. A masculine man remembers the God he is called to reveal. Just remember how God treated you. Remember how much of a pain in the neck you were. But let's just be honest. Remember how much of a pain in the neck you still are. Right? Right? Now your wives are too. I'll make it equal here. Right? We all are. We're all human beings. Right? But we are. We like argue with God. We, 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 we wrestle with temptation and like, ha, ah, there are moments we pull away from him and he just is loving and he's kind and he's faithful and he's caring, right? Remember how God treated you. So in turn, you can remember how you treat others. But here's the point. Remember how difficult you were and how God treated you. And the same then is true for biblical masculinity. When you have people who then treat you poorly, you respond as you remember God responding to you. So in these moments, maybe you feel criticized by your wife. Maybe you feel disrespected by your children. Maybe you feel underappreciated by your parents or betrayed by friends. 
But you remember how when you did all of those things to God, how he responded to you. And biblical masculinity then is able to respond in like manner to those maybe who are not treating you well. We don't pick a fight. We just are Jesus. Three, a masculine man looks into others' distress, feels his own inadequacies that only God can overcome. You, listen, in these moments you were more curious than immediately helpful. In these moments you refused to give quick advice or easy solutions. Rather than attempting to manage someone's problems, you look at the problem and you look at it long enough till you recognize that your answers are inadequate, you're unable to solve it, and you realize the best that you can offer is the presence of God in you. Uh, when I was in Wyoming a couple weeks ago, I sat with two pastors. I think it was one on a Tuesday and one on a Wednesday. On Tuesday, I met with this guy who was struggling with this something going on with his, his now soon-to-be senior and high school daughter. And I began to think, oh, I have wisdom to this. I've experienced this. So I said, I moved into his life. I said, hey, tell me what's going on with your daughter, right? And as he began to speak, I immediately knew the answer. And so he talked and talked and talked. And as he talked, I stopped paying attention because I already knew the answer to his problem, right? Do you ever do that? And so I waited for him to get done so I could like drop the hammer of wisdom bring about the wisdom all the knowledge like go boom see that mic drop wisdom you should be a lot more like me all right counterfeit masculinity you know what he did he disconnected from me. he's like oh, oh okay okay thank, okay thank you for that and literally walked away and i recognized in the moment oh he doesn't need more of me he needs more of jesus and I gave him a lot of me when I entered in. So next day, I learned from that moment, I sat down with another pastor the next day. He began to tell his story. I had immediate thoughts of what he needed to do, right? Because that's what we do. We had those immediate thoughts. We're fixers by nature. We're doers by nature. But I remembered he needs more of Jesus. So I listened. I got curious. I asked him questions. In my curiosity and asking questions, I realized he's actually asking things that make me feel a little bit weighty. Oh, my gosh, they're a little bit scary because I don't have the answers for him. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is a perfect moment to offer him Jesus. And so he got done. He felt like he had been heard. He felt like I'd engaged him fully. And I, he looked, and I just looked and said, here's the deal, man. I don't, I don't have many answers or any answers for you. But I just want you to know I know you. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that if I were not working at Vintage, I'd be, I would love to come work with you and partner with you in ministry. You are valuable in the eyes of God. The work that you're doing is powerful. I know you have tensions, but it does not define your identity. As I was praying for you, I do want to share just a couple of thoughts that maybe were from the Lord or maybe not. And so I'm going to share them last, but I'm not sure. But if they're from the Lord, great, receive them. If they're not, please get rid of them. And I just said to him a couple of really brief things that I felt like God was speaking into the moment. Next day, he looked at somebody and said, it's the most important conversation I've had in a long time. And I looked at that. I didn't feel good. I just felt love for him because I entered in to be Jesus to him, not to be the answer. The fourth thing. So I looks, look, looks into his distress and feels his own inadequacies because only God can ever come last. A masculine man moves into another's needs in order to reveal God's holy heart of love. 
masculine man knows, knows it's time to act. You do. You see a problem. All men do. We see the problem. We feel compelled to move, right? We hear someone's cry, right? And then we remember the story of God, of how he moved in our lives, and now we know how to move in someone else's life. We, we look, we listen carefully in the conversation to determine God's movement, to t- determine God's provision in the moment, not what we can bring, but what he can bring, right? And then in this, we're willing to, to leave our comfort zone, to move without feeling inadequate, not afraid of being not afraid of being vulnerable, and we take the risk to embrace the person, to love them, and maybe even in the moment to share something that brings breakthrough, to sacrifice something of our own time and energy because it's what they need, willing to be the answer, whatever it may be. Biblical masculinity. Let me tell you something, men. You have been perfectly designed by God with his traits in you, now empowered by his spirit to embrace a biblical masculinity and to be awesome at it. Not because of you, but because of God's spirit in you, the traits that he's given you to move in this way to be truly biblical masculine. Again, it has nothing to do with the Marlboro man. It has nothing to do with being emotionally distant and disconnected and letting the women take care of that stuff, right? It's literally stepping in and listening and looking at your daughter and saying, I'll be honest with you, babe, I, I don't know. And you feel naked when you say it because you're supposed to have every answer every time. And look at this, I just don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I just, I don't know. All I know is I love you. And I'm committed to you. And I will walk with you until God brings an answer. What is masculinity? It's not what culture has told us. It is men expressing the traits of Jesus. The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and four, and by a man whose heart is totally is, and I would add a man who embraces biblical masculinity. And I'm hoping that you would do the utmost to be that man to your wife, to your girlfriend, to your friends, to your children, to your parents, to your co-workers, and the people in your life. Here's the thing. If you can't fix somebody else, then you can't make yourself good at these things. It requires you being with Jesus and saying, here's what I offer, which is not much. Would you then come in and convict me? Would you come in and speak truth? Would you enable and cause to bring into flame this biblical masculinity? Because that's who I want to be. I want to be a man like Jesus. I would encourage you to go read the Gospels. I mean, he was a builder. He was a carpenter's pretty man's man. And then he would sit there and he'd weep with people. And he'd weep over the whole people, all, the whole of Jerusalem. And he would draw in and listen to people. He would get down on their level and he would just love them where they were. I invite you to take that journey now. In the biblical masculinity, you are perfectly designed by God to step into it. Let's pray.
Father, we, uh, I thank you this morning. I thank you for every man here. I thank you, Jesus, that they are truly empowered by your spirit to step into this calling. God, I know so many of those men, and there's so many ways, Lord, they have stepped into, into growth. They are, they, are, they are more biblically masculine today than they were a year ago more so than they were five years ago and more so than they were ten years ago. I thank you that biblical masculinity is a journey that we're on. And I thank you that you are always moving in people's lives to, to draw them towards all of our men. I pray, Father, for your grace now upon each of them. Father, maybe they felt convicted this morning. I, I hope and pray they didn't feel like I was beating them up this morning. But as a man speaking to a man, like I just recognize, Lord, that's, I appreciate speaking, people speaking to me that way, just very direct. And so I just pray you would take that directness, you would then cover it with your, with your compassion and your, and your mercy, and you'd say to each person, hey, okay, Steve laid it out there. Now let's just take the first step. Let's just take the first step. You don't have to take ten steps this morning. Just, just take one step. And I just pray, God, you would show each person here today just how to take that one step into this Father, I thank you that you were committed to our men. You were faithful to each of them, to lead them, to guide them, to empower them. And we just say this morning, Jesus, come and have your way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's do this this morning. If you have, we have ministry teams, you can just press pause real quick. Thank you. Sorry, actually, I just, I just, I just decided this. Um, if you're around, just, if you're a man this morning, I want to invite you to stand. If you're 18 years or older, I invite you to stand this morning. I want to invite you, if you're at home, I want you to hear me say, being a man, Living this out is not for the faint of heart. To be the one that moves into something is scary because you're putting yourself out there to have to be vulnerable. The person who moves in is the person who's exposed. And so it's not easy. It's like that first that guy, the first guy to the first wave in warfare to, to have to go and expose themselves, to go in. That's very scary and very dangerous. Which we say, I recognize this morning as a man that those moments are difficult. Sometimes you don't know how to step in. You don't know what to do. Even when you do it, sometimes you feel like you fail, right? So I want you to say this morning, there's just grace for you. God has compassion. Recognizes frailties. This morning, if you're around these, I just want you just to put your hand on them, get behind them, I don't, whatever you want to do this morning, feel comfortable with guys, maybe you can just put your arm on the guy next to you. I see a row back here. Man, 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 man. Just kind of put your arm around them. Man, I want to invite you just quietly before the Lord to lay out maybe some of your own fears and tensions. Tell him this how you're feeling this morning about this message. This morning.
morning you recognize, God, you have not done this for someone in your life. And you need to ask for forgiveness. Great. Take some time today and make that happen. Maybe you see someone that you need to just engage differently. I invite you to remember how the Lord leads you. How he relates to you. And just invite you to do the same. Now, Father, as we pray, we just ask this morning for the grace, your grace, your power, your ability to flow through them today. I thank you for the message you gave to Paul and his struggles. You said, none of my grace is sufficient for you. And I thank you today, God, that your grace is sufficient, your abilities, your power, your goodness, your compassion, your long-suffering that you then flow in us like a river, God, to flow out of us to those that are in need. And we just, say, we just say this morning, Jesus, we need your grace. We need your ability. We need your movement. And we just say for each of these men, would you come and would you move? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we have ministry teams available. I'd like to invite you to respond. We have offering baskets that are here. We have communion available. This is the time of worship. You come as the Lord leads, whether you want to come and just pray for things for this message, or simply maybe you just want to get prayer this morning for healing or for breakthrough. If there's something that you're wrestling with this morning, you just want God to move. It doesn't matter what we're praying into. We want to invite you to ask the Lord to come and to move in your life today. So you respond as the Lord leads, and I'll come back up here to give a last announcement at the end of our message, and then send you home to celebrate Father's Day. So you respond as the Lord leads.